Welcome in, everyone, to a rather frustrated episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and uh, this is a rough one. So let's just dive in, and we'll try to, to provide some clarity uh, to the murky waters that now the Chiefs have found themselves in. Let's introduce the guys and get going. He thought the best quarterback on the field on Sunday was Derrick Henry. Sam Blackett is with us. What's going on, man? You know, it's amazing that even – when he doesn't perform at, through astronomical numbers, he's still the greatest player on the football field. And that's a t- football field that contains Patrick Mahomes. Like Marshawn Lynch, he also did three shots of Hennessy to prep for tonight. Jacob Allen is with us. How you doing, bud? I thought we weren't switching our podcast to explicit. <laughs> And I am Sean Deegan, and it looks like I'll be getting more rings this year than the Chiefs will. Let's go ahead and get to this thing, because uh, our trend of not being able to predict anything worth a damn continues. Uh, Jacob, you had picked – we all picked the Chiefs to win. Jacob, you picked 35-25. I was 33-27. And Sam, you had 37-28. We all came up short of the Chiefs by a minimum of 31 points. So let's ask the question. I think that everyone's asking after this 27-3 loss to the Tennessee Titans this past Sunday. Uh, Because the thing that seems to be floating around at this point is you obviously have the people that are overreacting to this, where it's like, we got to fire Andy Reid and Brett Veach and Spagnola, and we got to trade everybody except Patrick Mahomes, rah, rah, rah. Mild exaggeration, but not by much in, in some cases. Uh, then there's the the ardent defenders of, of Brett Veach and Steve Spagnola and Andy Reid who say that, you know, they brought a championship to us. They can do no wrong, et cetera. And obviously somewhere in the middle lies reality. So I wanted to start with this question because obviously this can't continue. So what is the breaking point for you guys before changes need to be made? And honestly, you can take that question however you want. If you say, like, if this happens in season, you fire Spagnola. Or, you know, if two years down the road and and, in the offseason, you know, if things haven't drastically improved, maybe we need to make a switch. Whatever way you interpret this question, I just want to get a barometer of where we're at here. Um, Sam, I will come to you here to start things off. What is your breaking point? before you think changes need to happen for the Chiefs? I don't think it's this year, to be honest, because I think the, yeah, this loss sucked real bad. It was, I can't remember, I think, Jacob, what game you said it, but you said it was like a waste. I just wasted an entire day watching that game. (laughs) Kind of how I felt. I just had the fortunate ability to be able to hang out with JJ while I was tormented through, uh, through watching the Titans game, but uh, no, it's, it, I don't think it happens this year. It's again, we're, we're two years removed from winning the Super Bowl, one re- year removed from making it to the Super Bowl. It, it's definitely a down downward trend, but I think it's something that happens to a lot of very good teams. And when you have a very top loaded roster, that's getting older and older. So it's something that you have to keep an eye on. Obviously, if you don't see any drastic improvement, not necessarily in defensive performance, because obviously Spagnola can't control his players, but his play calling, if it continues to be stagnant, I think you start to be a little worried. But 
I, I I'm not going to say there's too much overreaction this year, but if it, if next year we're having the same conversation, then we're like, okay, this is, this is a problem. Jacob, what about you? At what point, if things don't change, would you say, all right, we need to make a change, whether that's Spagnola, whether that's Veach, um, I, whether, you know, if you think that X, Y, Z happens, Andy Reid needs to go. What is, what is your breaking point where you say, I, the Chiefs need to make some wholesale changes? I think you can start with this game. I think you do need to see some changes to letting the young guys play because this game was very similar to a baby pulling out your chest hair just a couple of hairs at a time. It was slow. Each one hurt. And then by the time it was all done, you realize you got waxed. Now, that also applies to my real life right now because that's what the baby's deciding to do. But at least he's staying quiet, so I can give him that. But I do think you need to, number one, you know, like I said, go to the young guys. Nick, Nick Bolton is the mic now. There's no excuse for Anthony Hitchens to get back on the field. Frank Clark doesn't need to take another snap. Things like him laughing on the sideline aren't supposed to affect us as fans, and we're supposed to, you know, be lightened up and say, nah, that's their job. But if you were doing a terrible job at your job and your boss walked in and you're joking around with everybody, you they'd be angry too. So we get the right to be angry about somebody who sucks at their job, laughing it up about having a bad day. Uh, but that's where I would be. And then as far as Spags goes, it's more a baby pulling out your beard. It's not as easy. It's going to be a little bit slower of a, of a move to make because there's a little more beard hair and it's a little more established. And there is a track record of the beard being okay. So the baby might leave it alone, but no, I, I think Spags actually is, has a little bit longer of a leash, but not by much. If he keeps doing what he's doing, it's gotta, it's gotta go. He's gotta go. These are the moments I wish we were a visual medium. Um, so for me, I, I agree with you, Jacob player, player decisions have to be right now because that's the only thing you can control right now that I think makes moves the needle at all. And I'm not sure it moves it a lot, but it at least gives you an idea of what you have right now and will allow you to be, maybe to accelerate the development of some of these younger guys. Sam, I'm with you. I don't, I think Spags is probably safe through this year end off season barring just a series of performances like you had in this game where you're just getting assaulted uh, even if you take out the best player on the field from doing the maximum that they are capable of. If Ryan Tannehill's beating you by starting out the game going 11 for 11, if that trend continues throughout the season, if Daniel Jones comes out next week and looks like Peyton Manning, then maybe we have a different discussion at the end of the season. But I, I agree with you. I think he's safe. I think Brett Veach is probably safe as long as Andy Reid's there. So I think he's probably fine. My breaking point will probably be the end of the year. If nothing has changed, I would, I would be okay with them making a change defensive coordinator. Uh, my breaking point for the players is now. I just, there's something wrong. There's an attitude that's, that's not the same as it was. And I don't know if it's, you know, Frank Clark got paid, Tyron Matthew got the ring, whatever it was that happened that changed these guys from being the animals that they were to 
not having the same impact on the field as they did during the Super Bowl runs in 2019 and 2020. But something has changed and and it's not getting better. So my breaking point for players is right now. Kind of on that point about players, and I, I may have tipped my hand just ever so slightly on this, but I think the natural thought is, you know, the Chiefs record is not terrible. It's three and four. It's not good, but it's not awful. They are definitively a mediocre team right now. So because the NFL is a short season, you obviously have less time to do things, but it's not unheard of to have a team, you know, just blow the doors off of everybody else and make a a serious run over the course of the rest of the year. So this, my question to you guys here is, can this be fixed this season? A lot of these guys are the same guys who went to the 2019 Super Bowl, to the 2020 Super Bowl. There are some changes, but, you know, obviously for better or for worse, a lot of the same pieces are still here. So can this be fixed in season? Or do you think that we're going to have to struggle through just to get to a winning record? Maybe there needs to be more wholesale changes in an offseason to really right this ship. Uh, we'll flip things around, and Jacob, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I mean, we got two routes here. The optimistic one is to say, yes, this team's loaded with talent still, and the pessimistic is to say, no, there's no way. They're too mentally damaged. Right now, I mean, we're searching for what is the answer. Why is this team so different? You wonder, you know, how much did that Super Bowl mess them up mentally? Because that's what it almost seems like. And I do think there is some talent issues, but not as big as the mental issues that are going on with them. So you would hope that they could flip that around, but you just, you'd never know. So I really not giving much of an answer, but that is my answer is it's tough to know if they can turn it around mentally. Cause I think the talent's there. And what about you? Do you think that the chiefs have, have what it takes, have the pieces in place to turn this season around despite where they're at record wise as of now, or do you think that they need a full off season to evaluate and, and make the wholesale changes needed? Yeah, I mean, you you still have, as Jacob said, it an incredibly talented roster. And again, I I hate saying this constantly, but you, when you have Patrick Mahomes, there's always some form of a chance. You always feel comfortable. And as Chiefs fans, we we haven't had that before, or haven't had that in a long time to say, you know, we have a good enough quarterback that even when the team's playing terrible, this week maybe a little, <laughs> we'll, we'll use this as the outlier week. But uh, no, it, it's definitely possible. Again, I, I don't think – I think there are some glaring holes on the team that you're basically going to have to kind of put Band-Aids over the bullet wound and, and hope you can kind of limp through the finish line on some of these aspects, pass rusher, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, when, when we do have the full capability of scoring 30-plus points a game and – you know that is a relatively easy thing for the offense to do in most cases. You you know that there's a chance that they can do something to turn it around to an extent. Again, you're never going to see this year. I don't think is going to be your perfect year that we kind of were hoping for going in. We we were all very excited about certain changes and things of that nature, but you can definitely see a run into the wild card playoff race and and play towards a what you classify as a winning season or a, a good season, not a winning season, I should say. For me, I think a lot of it resides out actually on the coaching. I think part of the issue to this point 
I think got revealed a little bit in this Titans game in a positive way. And we'll get into more of him a little bit, but Nick Bolton was allowed to do what he's best at. Like attack the run. Nick Bolton was like, okay. And Nick Bolton attacked the run like a monster. I think you're seeing that a lot of these guys that admittedly I was very excited about and maybe was overly excited to the point where I, I didn't see maybe the inherent flaws with it, but Orlando Brown Jr. is not comfortable in this system. He is not comfortable doing vertical set after vertical set after vertical set alone with no help. They were playing 11-13 tech on the defensive ends just and, and just doing a straight line to Patrick Mahomes because they knew he wasn't fast enough to get off the line and and stop him. That's not necessarily a problem with Orlando Brown's talent. That's a problem with Orlando Brown's fit in this scheme. He's a Pro Bowl player in a scheme like like the Baltimore Ravens have. He he's barely an average tackle in a in a scheme like the Chiefs run. That's a problem. You're also asking guys like Dan Sorensen to do too much. That's that's an issue. They finally seem to have fixed that with Juan Thornhill. But you're ask, you've asked Nick Bolton to play before this pass game a lot more coverage. That's not his strong suit. He can't do that. You can't ask him to cover running backs in the flat. You just can't. Mike Hughes was a guy who people thought might be done due to injury. And you, you asked him to come in and start and take over for Bashad Breeland. And initially, I thought that was going to work out, and it seems to have tailed off here as, as time has gone on. And he did have a rough day against A.J. Brown. So I have to wonder at a certain point is if, if maybe they make some changes to the scheme, would that allow for – and make it simpler, just more direct and forward – would that allow for some of these players who are somewhat misfits in, in certain aspects of what they're being asked to do to thrive more. And maybe that allows the Chiefs to really make a push. Outside of that, I think you, if you are going to continue to play things the way you have, I think you need a full off season. I, and I, and I, I don't know that even in this coming off season, there would be a, the pieces available draft and free agency to fill all of the holes that you have with things like defensive end, and left tackle. And if you don't think Lucas Niang is at right tackle, you need a right tackle still. There's just a lot of really big pieces still. So I think if you're able to make the changes scheme-wise to allow these guys to fit more comfortably into what their strengths are, great. I think you absolutely could turn things around this season. And, and like you said, Sam, make a push towards the wild card. But I don't. But if you're not willing to do that, then I think that it might put you in a spot where you need a full offseason. Last thing here before we dive into the specifics on each side of the ball, uh, defensively and offensively. And this is a more philosophical question. Maybe didn't take a whole lot of time to answer, but I am curious because the Chiefs are three and four. Like I said, they're not terrible record-wise, but it seems like the talk across the nation is the Chiefs are a bad football team. Dynasty is over need to blow it up and start over with the exception of Patrick Mahomes. I've heard a lot of that and seen a lot of that on Twitter. Are the expectations what are causing us to think this team is maybe worse than they are? This performance was obviously horrible, but 
the Chiefs have been in most games that they've played, the Titans and Bills notwithstanding. So my question is, are the, are the expectations that the Chiefs admittedly have caused them, put, brought on themselves by winning a Super Bowl and then going to another one, are they the reason that the Chiefs are, are being referred to as a bad team now? Or is this team a bad team and they're just now being exploited as, as we're getting deeper into the season? Um, Sam, we'll, we'll start with you for this one. The Chiefs, again, they're not as good as they've been the past two years. Let's not even try to act like that's the case. There, there's definitely a significant drop-off compared to what we've seen in the past. But we're still talking about an offense that's been able to, bar this last game, put up close to 30 points almost every game. So they're still – like I said, they're still talent. They're still a good team on offense. The defense is letting us down significantly. And yes, there were heavy expectations. You don't go to back-to-back Super Bowls and come into a season and not have expectations to go to another. And when it does go bad quickly, it makes things worse than they necessarily appear. Now, again, they're not good necessarily there there there's problems as we've already discussed and and is there a likelihood of us going to the super bowl again it's it's dwindling it's waning very quickly but they're not as bad as i think the national media makes them out for sure i think patrick mahomes is is kind of in that same boat where we're seeing flaws for the first time in his career, really, where we, we were not used to the turnovers and the dumb mistakes and the, the little problems that he's just been kind of able to just work without. And now that we're seeing it, people are overreacting and saying, oh, he's terrible. He doesn't deserve all the money. Uh, let's go back and just watch what he's able to do. Yeah, he's had some mistakes. I think he's probably trying to clean that up. But it's it's just uh, the expectations definitely play a role in making things seem worse than they are. Hey, what about you? How, how much of the perception of the Chiefs as a good or bad team is, is due to expectations versus just they're not a good team to you? When your crappy car breaks down, you expect it. When your Lamborghini breaks down, driving it off the lot, you are rightfully pissed. It's all about the expectations. It's, it's big. Really, really big. <laughs> but Huge. Sam is right. It's huge. Sam's right. It's they're not as good as the last two years. They've proven that now at this point that they're not as good. But the thing is, they were so good that and Patrick Mahomes is that it doesn't matter. They could still potentially make a run. I'm not going to sit here and say Super Bowl because I think in the current moment, it's tough to say that. Who knows? Down the stretch, though, we might be back here and saying – Okay, the beginning of the season was rough, but this is a team that has turned out to be a fighter. Right now it's, all right, please just make the playoffs. Living in Denver, I will not hear the end of it. I do think there's the perception of the offense being bad is is more influenced by, is, is more a result of expectations than necessarily reality. Offensively, they're, they're not a bad team, but they are – turning the ball over at an incredible rate. I do think the defense is just bad. I think that that defense got 
old quickly and it's already a very expensive defense. The Chiefs actually spend more on their defense. I think all the stat I saw is more on their defense than any other team in the NFL. And the results aren't there to justify that kind of a cap hit when you're about to start paying Patrick Mahomes 30, uh, 35, 40, $45 million a year. I do think that per the perception has made it seem like Patrick Mahomes was invincible and was able to overcome and overturn any issue that the Chiefs had to that point. And this is, I think, maybe the first year we're starting to see a guy who realized that and isn't playing as free and easy, and it's causing turnovers, it's causing the offense to stutter. And and, and I think that is the shock that the, the country has with this team. All right, let's dive deep. Let's get into this, specifically starting with the defense. This is one of the weirdest games because in terms of how I would explain it to someone. Because you can say just the final score, 27-3, the Chiefs got smacked. And that still, I think, doesn't indicate exactly how badly the Chiefs got beat. For reference, Craig Stout of Kansas City Sports Network, he's one of their film analysts there. He actually you came over from Arrowhead Pride with the KC Laboratory guys. And he talked, he did his whole charting thing and realized as he was watching the all 22 as he got was going through the fourth quarter when he finished he realized that the titans did not throw a pass in the fourth quarter after the interception by willie gay jr they were like well we don't really need to do anything else so we're just going to grind the clock and punt and that's it and they still beat the chiefs by 24 points it's just a ridiculous stat Muse came out with the numbers here recently the chiefs uh, this went around Twitter all over the place. Chiefs are 32nd in points allowed, yards allowed, yards per play allowed, in first downs allowed, and then 31st in passing yards allowed, in receiving yards allowed, and in rush yards allowed. They're last or second to last in most defensive categories. This is bananas. How did we get here? Because, again, this defense, while not great, I think really at maybe any point in Spag's run, other than maybe the second half of 2019, has at least been solid and serviceable. And yet now they are awful, quantifiably, both eye test and statistically awful. How did we end up here? Sam, I'll come to you first. It's a good question. And I don't I don't know the full answer to it because it is it is one of those challenging ones where can one year make that big a difference with the older players because obviously we do have aging players on the roster of guys that were very good last year that this year are just abysmal i don't know if that's the case i i'm almost almost starting to think that the whole tyron matthew situation is taking an effect on the team even though he has been relatively up until recently had been relatively kind of peaceful about it and not really dragging social media or the team into it. It's becoming more and more apparent that he's not happy. And as the leader of a defense that I think that can play a major effect on the way that the team plays together. But even, even still, you're talking about guys like Chris Jones who dropped a lot of weight to go play a position that he's not never played before 
and now is not performing at either of his positions. So there, there's the historic bad part about this defense is, is the troubling part is the hard part to answer because nothing is working. And that's, that's hard to do with anything when just nothing seems to go right again this week, as you talked about earlier, and we'll kind of get into a little bit, Nick Bolton looked good. Hey, great. He looked, he looked like a decent linebacker, not the thing that we spent money for. I don't think not what we spent the draft capital for what, what he, what we wanted him to be. So it's hard. I don't really have a full answer for it. My only hope, and this is kind of slight divergence of, of the question is, what this has reminded me of is is kind of late, uh, I'll say early 2000s Chiefs where we had an offense and we just begged and begged and begged for a defense. By the time we got one, we didn't have an offense anymore. And it was just a vicious cycle for many years of, okay, draft all the defense you can to try to fix it. Forget about your offense. They get ancient. And then by the time we have a good defense, the offense is just abysmal. And it, it's kind of looking like that might be the cycle we've started again. And I really hope that's not the case, but no, it's, it's a hard, I, I really don't know exactly why it's historically bad. Uh, it's just, uh, I think comes to no one's really playing up to the level that we just expect them to play at. And there's many reasons that that could come down to. So I basically spent three minutes circling around your question, not answering it. So you're welcome. <laughs> Hey, what about you? Uh, what happened? Why did what in your perspective has caused this defense to go from good to serviceable to just absolutely awful? Well, thankfully, Sam, that's why I'm here as well. You're there when I circle around and don't actually answer questions and then vice versa. Even if we do disagree with each other, at least one of us gives an answer each time. But Sam is in the ballpark. You've spent tons of resources and money and in money and draft picks, capital trading, and it's not performing. Once that happens, your roster's thin, and then you have to lean back on, hey, what about the guys we paid to do stuff? And they're not doing anything. So you just have a bad combination of we have no young guys to fill in for the depth and maybe to develop, and at the same time, your best players, supposed to be best players, aren't doing jack. So you paid Frank Clark a bunch of money. We want the guy out of town. We've been on that train for at least a year. The other one is Chris Jones. You're paying him a lot of money, but not to be a ten. I almost called him a terrible DN, but I mean, realistically, he's not a good DN. He needs to be at D tackle. You paid him to be D tackle, put him at D tackle. Tyron Matthew, nothing to really write home about yet. He spends more energy getting on Twitter and tweeting at guys than he does playing football at this point. So that's the big issue. And then on top of that, it leaked over into the defense of trading for Orlando Brown and him not performing that first round pick could have also been something, but that's the problem is that's where the issue is at is you spend a bunch of resources on guys that haven't performed. Now, having said all that, I'm still all in on getting rid of all of your guys and going for Von Miller in the off season. I I'm going to piggyback on your, your line of thinking, Jacob, and I'm going to say you can go back to 2018 as where this starts. Because I think this is the first year where you're really seeing the effects of that draft and the snowball effect that it's caused. Because if Breland Speaks works out, do you trade for Frank Clark? Probably not. 
if you decide not to go with Braylon Spinks and you draft Fred Warner, are we sitting here talking about Nick Bolton as a liability in coverage? Probably not. If Armani Watts worked out and was able to be your hybrid dime safety, are we worried about whether Dan Sorensen's getting snaps? Probably not, because he's probably not on the team. It's just a series of things that happened. Derek Noddy, you know, you drafted with a third-round pick a run-stuffing defensive tackle, which in today's NFL is something of a luxury to have, to be able to have someone who is so specific a player that while I think Derek Noddy's very good at his job, that's, that's such a limited role to spend a top 100 pick on. I don't know if that's where you invest those, those resources. Then you start chasing. Now, you're, now you need a defensive end coming into 2019. You got to trade Frank Clark. So we're going to get rid of the first round pick. We're going to trade away a second round pick in the following year. Um, and we'll swap thirds. Okay. So we got our defensive end. What do we need next? Um, and then we've, we've banged on enough about the 2019 draft from the Cole Hardman and so on and so forth. And it just snowballs from there. Now you're chasing linebackers. Now you're chasing defensive linemen. Joshua Kando was thought to be this big prospect who has not done anything. Juan Thornhill is this stud rookie that they refused to put on the field this year. Nick Bolton looked terrific in run defense this, this, this game specifically, but we know that there's this other aspect of this, his game that he's not good at. Cornell Powell, you know, you're chasing wide receivers now because McCole Hartman hasn't been the X receiver that you wanted him to be. And Cornell Powell is on your practice squad. It, it, it's, it's a snowball effect. And then when you also miss on guys like Anthony Hitchens, like Frank Clark has been here, where you're giving him all this money to be a good to decent to not good at all defensive end, at a certain point, it catches up with you. And I think we're finally seeing the results of trying to consistently run it back when things don't always work out the way that you want them to. Sean, we- I do have one more follow-up question on this. What would you guys say are the Chiefs' biggest areas of concern going into the offseason? Let's just say today. You, get, you have to know today what positions do they need. In, in order – uh, defensive end, left tackle, and wide receiver and uh, corner, in order. That would be my three. Defensive end, number one for sure. Probably a different style of cornerback because I think our corners are good in their own right, but they're all identical to each other, which just doesn't work. And then wide receiver because we can't. Tyreek's not looking great. I think he's still a great player, but I think he's that people have figured out that when you just stack two high deep safeties, he's kind of limited on what he can do. He saw his huge games, obviously being a great player and Travis is starting to slow down a little bit seemingly as well. So we need something to juice up that wide receiver core because D Rob Byron Pringle and McCall Hartman just aren't, uh, aren't cutting the mustard for, for what we need. And I asked that because the Chiefs are kind of victim of their own success in this right of it's like, hey, where do the best tackles go? In like the top 15, where do the top wide receivers go? Somewhere in the top 25-ish. There's the occasional pretty good guy that's fallen to the second or third. 
I mean, I'm not going to argue that. Where do the best corners go? Most of them go in the first round, the, the, the top end. A couple of them fall to the second or third. But your odds of getting those guys, not great. Where do the best pass rushers go in the top 10 to 15? It's tough to fill those positions. And I know I'm echoing some of Seren Petro's ideas at this point, but these are things also that I had thought as well at the same time. But it's just, it's tough. It's tough when you're down at that 30 to get the elite guys. And you saw the Chiefs went about doing it. They were they had to trade first round picks to go get what they needed. Hasn't well, worked out, unfortunately. Never apologize for referencing Seren Petro. He's, he's the muse that rules my childhood up till now. So that's all good with me. I do think, though, that this, this goes back to you only have so many darts. Why not accumulate as many as possible? And I get that you want, like, impact players, but the amount of resources that you need allocated to acquire that kind of a player can be incredibly inhibiting if it doesn't work out. And the odds of it working out are far less than it not in any scenario in the NFL. It's just such a... A brutal league where injuries and you know coaching situations and scheme can all dictate a player's success and we've seen all of that happen with Frank Clark where he's just not good maybe you don't draft Clyde Edwards Alaire in the first round and you trade back or or maybe you keep that pick and trade this year's first round pick and you move up into the top 10 top 15 find that left tackle or pass rusher again you have to allocate resources but at least in that regard you're only allocating draft picks and you still have the money as opposed to doing what they did with frank clark where they gave up multiple hundred top 100 picks and a hundred million dollar contract on top of it i think that's where it really hurts is when you put the majority of your resources into a single player and all of a sudden, all your hopes are riding on him. So maybe it's time for Veach to try and have more than six picks in a draft and, and really start to accumulate so that he can maybe just throw more darts and see what's, what hits. Let's talk about something positive with the defense because we've been dancing around him as, as much as possible because I think we all are like wanting to talk about him a little bit. And that is Nick Bolton did exactly at least for me what i wanted him to do he attacked derrick henry he attacked downhill he laid lumber he comes with a force that is aggressive and powerful and he just i thought he played very very well going north to south it was terrific again we've talked about his limitations in in coverage but obviously he's starting to pick it up when it comes to the run run defense so how do we feel about him as the Mike going forward? Obviously, there's much, much left to this season. We'll get up to see him a lot more. But even after this season, if you want to look into the future, how do we feel about him as your starting Mike linebacker? Um, Jacob, we'll come to you first this time. Vindicated. I was pulling for him all off season. I said, please draft this man. So right now I'm the, the analyst saying, see, I told you, look, Go check the receipts. This is the guy I wanted. While you're there, please don't look at nine out of ten of my other things I've said. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm vindicated in the sense that – and really he surprised me a little bit because he had one hit where he delivered the boom to Derrick Henry. I was like, what? So, for a second I had to do a quick check. 
but he's proven he's a man. I'll, I'll give him that. I know he had 15 tackles and a couple for tackle for loss. And like I said, Anthony Hitchens, thanks for participating. You and Frank Clark can now sit on the inactive game day roster if you'd like together. Sam, what about you? How do you feel about Nick Bolton taking over a starting position as your middle linebacker uh, for the Chiefs going forward? At this point, you have to. I can't see anyway. I mean, I, I, I'm fine seeing Hitchens on the field if it's playing for Ben Neiman, not playing for Nick Bolton. Because I think at this point you do have to have your your youth talent on the field as much as possible. Because, again, they are getting to a point where they have to start evaluating, you know, what do we have? What, what do we have going into this next year? Because obviously we've got to fill some holes. So they need to understand what, what they have in Nick Bolton and Willie Gay at linebacker. Um, so, yeah, they it, I'm fully comfortable with it. Again, I – it's hard watching a guy like Nick Bolton because he is a player where, man, you wish he could just sit for a year and learn the NFL, learn how fast it is and, and understand coverage a little better. Cause it's kind of, I think I can't remember who I was talking to, which, which one of you I was talking to about it, where he is very Willie gay esque of, you can tell he knows what he wants, like what's going on to an extent. He's just that step behind, and he doesn't have that freakish athleticism that, that Willie Gay has to make up for it. So you, it looks a lot worse than Willie Gay's for sure did, for sure. Um, but, no, you you have to see it. It, it was a, obviously an improved game. This was what you drafted him for was to north and south. Don't expect him to get into coverage a whole lot. There were times he looked decent. Like, he looked like he started to kind of fall back into the right places within coverage, which is obviously a positive because he's never going to be the guy that you you try to put on the most athletic player in the world or on the team, I think. But as long as he's filling that role well, kind of uh, Damian Wilson-esque where he was always kind of in that right place. You knew he wasn't going to be the most athletic person, but he just did things correctly. And so it worked for a long time. So, yeah, you, you have to start him now. Um, and with – with Anthony Hitchens, use him as your as your kind of third linebacker when when Neiman would usually go in, let let Hitchens go in instead. Well, we've reached the part of the program where I disagree with Sam and say Nick Bolden's first year is better than Willie Gay's first year. Willie Gay just looked lost most of the time, but he flashes athleticism. I think we're seeing Nick Bolton get better by the week. He is getting closer to balls and coverage as well. Hasn't made the play yet. He's no Ben Neiman when it comes to covering. covering Get out. And never deflected any pass in his career. But, no, he seriously is getting closer to balls and coverage, which is saying, you know, like, hey, that step behind that he is in coverage, which I agree with you guys, is only like three-quarters of a step behind now. There was a couple of plays where I was like, okay, I can see that you see now better where you should be versus before he was just running to a spot and hoping that a receiver would be in the area. That was how it felt before. I was like, all right, 10 yard drop. Where's the receiver? Oh, he did an eight yard route because he saw my 10 yard drop crap. But yeah, I, I do think he's had been making improvements each week, but again, I'm also rooting for my own, my own prediction as well. Well, I mean, and- we, we were all on, I think Nick Bolt, the Nick, Bolton train like obviously we each had linebacker as a big choice and I think he was kind of the one we expected to be one of the best I 
I would have preferred, again, seeing a slightly more, I, I would have loved to see a slightly more athletic, less kind of run stuffing linebacker, but we were all kind of on that train. Um, I just think with him, what I, I guess the getting lost in coverage is because, yeah, there were times where he, like I said, he fell into the right places. He doesn't have the, he has much better instincts, I think, than Willie Gay. That's what he has better football instincts than Willie Gay does. He just, like I said, he just doesn't have that freak athleticism. So it looks way worse because Willie Gay was able to make up for his mistakes with just being able to run anyone to the ground where Nick Bolton isn't able to do that as well. Yeah. If Nick Bolton bites on a play fake, there's no recovery. Like the middle of the field is open. Willie Gay might have a chance to turn and run and make a play on the ball or at least disrupt the receiver enough to where it can still be an incomplete pass. Again, are we – just just to double-check one quick thing, are we saying that we would have rather had two tackle to real Cox? So I still – I will always love Cox, Jacob. <laughs> you know, I, I loved Cox. I will love Cox. And I will always love Cox forever. <laughs> I would I just, love to see Gay Cox. Yes, on the field at the All same right. time. All the time. I just wanted to see how fast Gay and Cox would look. That's all I wanted. But we don't get to have that. I I think if Nick Bolton is a more athletic Anthony Hitchens that you're not paying $8 million a year for, $10 million a year for, I'm on board. I, I think that's perfectly fine because I think that Nick Bolton to this point has looked, even in his mistakes, way more decisive about it, especially in the game again, in this last game against the Titans, his explosivity through the line, his, his intention, I am going to attack this gap. I'm getting to the running back. I'm making this tackle. And he lays a hit way with way more ferocity than, than Hitchens ever has. So if he is that, and he has all the instincts and he actually is, you know, what Spags says that Anthony Hitchens and Tyron Matthew and Dan Sorensen are where they're like, they get all the guys lined up, which clearly has never happened. But if Nick Bolton can actually be that guy and be a slight and be a little more athletic, Anthony Hitchens, I think you have a good football player. I think you have a, a, a guy who could be your middle linebacker for a second contract. It's just under, it's just up to Brett Veach to understand that if Nick Bolton on his second contract asks for, Anthony Hitchens money, you need to walk because I don't think you can pay any linebacker that is not one dimensional, but closer to that than maybe like, obviously like a Fred Warner is. Then I think that's the only thing that would make me go, okay, this was a mistake because obviously Bolton has the instincts. He has the thump and it seems like he's starting to pick things up and I would feel really good about him being at the mic the rest of the season and going forward. Now, it's kind of a different story about the pieces that surround Nick Bolton, though, because good Jesus Christ, there are some real bad players on the defense right now. And so my question would be to you guys, would you try to move pieces at the deadline for picks or cheaper players or whatever the case might be? There are obviously some contracts you cannot move yet. Chris Jones, if you wanted to move, you have to wait till this offseason and post June 1 to trade. Frank Clark, you have to wait till this coming off season to cut or trade. No one's going to trade for him, but to cut. But I bet you could get something for Tyron Matthew. Um, I I wonder if you'd be able to scrounge something for Anthony Hitchens 
if it was like a fifth or a sixth round pick, I'd be willing to look at it. I don't think you really save any money, but I don't think you lose any money. I have to go back and look at the uh, cap numbers again. But are there pieces that you'd be willing to move and actively try to move at the deadline if you're the Kansas City Chiefs? Um, We'll flip things and I'll, I'll come to Sam first this time. I think it's too late, unfortunately. Um, as far as being able to get much out of most of these players because how bad the defense is playing. If the defense was playing better and it was very evident, like Frank Clark's garbage, like we knew that, but the whole defense was playing okay and he's playing in the defense, you might be able to squeeze something out of him. Um, I think Hitchens might attract some teams to – as a little trade bait, but it's just, it's, it's almost to the point where because of how bad the defense is, I think a lot of teams would look at it and be like, I mean, we'll give you a sixth for him. That's as much as we're going because it's just not worth it at this point because no one's proving that they're worth anything. The only player that I'm almost, I think Jacob and I kind of talked about it a little bit when we were watching the game is, is Chris Jones almost worth it at this point. Do you, do you say, all right, let's, uh, Let's go ahead, and I, I, I doubt we can do it due to due cap cap penalties that we'd incur doing it, but he's not playing great, and he's getting paid a whole lot of money. So unless he's – I mean, changes immediately, and they start just saying, okay, you're back at defensive end, or defensive tackle, and that's it. He, he's kind of a lame duck at this point, it seems like, at, on t- at times. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think, unfortunately, it's a little too late because of how poor the defense is playing to really get a lot of aspects, but it's always, I guess it's always worth trying to, to try to shop shop players and, and see what you can get. And obviously if you can go out and trade for significant players, it'd be great, but we don't have any money, which is a problem. So it's really an unlikely opportunity to get anybody that's going to significantly infect the defense on our side. Jake, what about you? Are there any players that you would actively try to move um, if you're the Chiefs at this point? The only one in season you can move from the defense is Tyron Matthew because he's the only one that has any value. Nobody wants Anthony Hitchens for the same reasons we don't want Anthony Hitchens. He's old. He doesn't play well. He's got a contract. But Tyron Matthew's the only one I think you could debate in season. But that would – it would terrify me to know who would take his position, especially if Spags is still your coordinator, because this is not going to be a shocker to anybody, but they trade Tyron Matthew. I know what safety Spags likes next up. <laughs> and I know we say, I, the phrase goes around of, we're bad with you. We can, we can be bad without you. I think you can be more bad with, without Tyron Matthew and Dan Sorensen taking those snaps. I mean, is it going to be Armani Watts? Is Dorian O'Daniel going to play strong safety? I I don't know. It would it would be tough. Samuel Sneed. I would like to see what Sneed could do. Oh, I'm intrigued now. Juan Thornhill and Sneed at safety, and figure out what the rest of the defense looks like after that. I think you can make that work. And I like it, too, because the safeties get drafted higher than the corners at this point, the elite safeties do. And so it would set you up more for your drafting as well. So I'm I'm on board to see that as well. I think Snead plays really well with everything in front of him. He can tackle. So 
I don't think it'd be that crazy. But yeah, I'm Tyron Matthews is the only one I think you could trade. And I think a lot of us right now are freshly frustrated with him and his competitiveness being used mainly on Twitter. But again, I think we're in the moment. The other one is, yeah, I would I would listen to offers on Chris Jones in the offseason. I mean, he's got kind of a lazy attitude. I wonder, too, if he, Albert Hainsworth, the Chiefs, maybe it ended up happening where we got Albert Hainsworth when we wanted to earlier in the team franchise. For those of us that don't know, Albert Hainsworth was a big-time defensive tackle free agent that the Chiefs were rumored to be big in on. He was asking for big money. Once he got that big money, he just started eating. And that first, was it. Did, didn't do great at football. First $100 million contract, correct? Yeah, I think I, you're right. That sounds right. I think that is correct. This Albert is before Hainsworth. the NFL realized that the quarterback was the true king. You want to know? I know Drew Bledsoe was way up there, too. Was Drew Bledsoe... I think I think Sam's right. I think I think Hainsworth was the first hundred million dollar contract. Fun fact: Hainsworth also often does not get better on ESPN Two K Five. You can sign him to a very large deal, and he is still an eighty four overall by the time his contract is done. Uh, very rarely does he get better. Yeah i I don't want to say Chris Jones is the reason the defense has a lazy mentality, but I don't think he helps it either. So. I'd be all for re-changing the attitude of the defense in the offseason. And, again, if you trade Chris Jones, you may be able to make a case for signing Von Miller. So let my dream live on. I, If someone offered me a second-round pick for Tyron Matthew, I would do it. And not because I don't think Tyron Matthew is, is, wor- is not worth more than a second-round pick. I think Tyron Matthew is, is worth a lot more than a second-round pick. But I don't know that he's worth more to, than a second-round pick to you right now because I think what he is able to do is limited, and he's going to command an awful lot of money that you don't have. And as much as we were all thinking like, oh, this defense needs Tyron Matthew because it's a good defense, and with him it can be a great defense, it's very clear this defense is not going to be even a good defense with or without him. So I would move on from him also because you could trade him and move his entire contract. You don't carry any dead cap as a result of moving him. And that's almost $15 million you get back and not have to worry about this coming off season. I, I would take it a step further. Jay. I would actively shop Chris Jones this coming off season. And not because again, I think, I don't think that he's a truly great player when he's approaching 30 and I don't, I think you need to actively start to look for guys who haven't reached the peak of the mountain at this point. This kind of goes back to something Sam's talked about with, and he used McCole Hardman as an example, but I think this might be prevalent with a lot of guys on the team, which is the idea that they come into a winning situation and they win and they think it's easy. Credit where credit is due. That was Jacob. Okay, well, Jacob said it. (laughs) I'll give Jacob credit. Sam was just on the McCole Hardman bit. What was I getting credit for? Uh, Saying about players coming into a winning situation and not understanding how hard it was to get there. Oh, yeah, the BJ missing. You're missing that hunger. You're missing that drive to be great. Real quick stack correction. I know Sean is really getting into his emotions on this one, and I hate to interrupt him. 
but we were both a little well, well first off one of our listeners is screaming at his radio or wherever he listens to it in Rantoul, Kansas but one of our listeners is screaming at the radio correcting us letting us know that Brett Favre was the first one to have a hundred million dollar contract uh-huh. Drew yeah. Bledsoe then followed him up in the same year with a hundred million dollar contract and it looks like Albert Hainsworth was the first non-quarterback to get a hundred million uh-huh. Okay. He also had the largest guaranteed money in league history at $41 million. Jesus Christ. So. For nothing. For literally nothing after. And also, Jacob, anytime I start to get in, in my field, it's probably a good time to interrupt. Say again, Sam? I said in podcast research. <laughs> <laughs> the best time to do it, because I have the edit button. But I think like this is the time to move those contracts and to see – about getting younger and finding guys who are hungry and that you can develop and maybe get on the cheap because next year it starts. The massive quarterback quarterback contract starts next season. This is the time to get young and this is the time to get cheap. And, and clearly we're seeing the benefits of youth and athleticism with a guy like Nick Bolton. So why not accelerate that? So I, again, I love Tyron Matthew. I really do. Even as much as he frustrates the hell out of me on Twitter, I think he's just an incredibly dynamic player that is worth more than a second-round pick. But if someone offered me a second-round pick, I would take it. Real quick follow-up question to that since we don't necessarily have this for the offense. You want to trade guys a year ahead of time, right? You don't want to trade them when their value is diminished. Would you entertain the idea of trading Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill? And what year is it that they need to be traded? I would, but again, like, but for, but for those guys, like you have to give me, it has to be like firsts, plural, like first round pick, plural, a first end change for like a Tyreek Hill, a first round pick for Travis Kelsey, just because, and people are like a first round pick for a tight end. I'm like, yeah, but it's Travis Kelsey. Maybe if it was like a second and like a third or a fourth, maybe I'd consider it, but I, the short answer is yes. I would absolutely listen, entertain offers. I just have to get the right deal. Um, those guys are on far more team-friendly contracts. Tyreek Hill, I think I might be more apt to move just because he's coming up on needing a contract extension. And he is more based on speed and his athleticism than maybe a Travis Kelsey is. And I think Travis Kelsey might be able to be more effective at what he does late in his career than maybe what Tyreek will be late in his career. Yeah, I'm on the same boat, just slightly different in that, yes, I would, would entertain offers for them at any time, honestly. But you only accept the offers once you know that you have a viable replacement for them. You can't trade away your best options on offense when you don't have anything to fill the gap that they're going to leave. Cause those guys are going to leave big shoes if they leave. Uh, um, I think Travis Kelsey more so than, than Tyreek Hill. Again, Tyreek is an amazing talent and not many people can do the athletic aspects of what he can do, but we we've seen Patrick's uh, ability to integrate other wide receivers. We've seen how big a drop-off it is from Travis Kelsey to Noah Gray or the belldozer. So it, that, that one's a little more important. So I, I can't make that – they can't make that move without knowing that there is a 
valid replacement that won't see a big drop off just to get a pick. Because again, when you, when you bank on a first round pick as, Oh, okay, we're getting a first round pick. You have no idea what that player is when you, yeah, it's great. You have high draft capital. It has, gives you the option of being able to potentially get a good player, but you don't know. And I think when you're trading away marquee pieces, you have to know at that point. I don't know what you're worried about. Sam Nicole Hartman said on Twitter that the, the only problem is targets doesn't get enough yeah. targets because he plays with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. So, you know, you should remove Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and Nicole Hartman will get all the targets and he'll be just yeah, fine. Keep, keep fumbling the ball, Nicole. I'm sure you're going to get lots of targets. More targets he gets, the more fumbles he gets. Yeah. And to be fair to Nicole, he was talking about how the guys in his draft class would not uh, even like being compared to them because they would not get the targets in the Chiefs offense that they're getting right now, to which I would say. I'm sorry, DK Metcalf gets targets in any system he's in, as does A.J. Brown. Just and, even, and I would argue even Terry McLaurin and Deontay Johnson would get plenty of targets in the Chiefs offense. Because guess what? They know how to run routes. And hold on to the ball, uh, funny enough. Speaking of offense, there was almost none of it. In this scheme. And the only offense they got was so clearly uh we have to get points on the board because if we get shut out by the Titans, it's we we won't be able to go home with that. But the Chiefs did manage three points as well as three turnovers, including the aforementioned McCole Hardman's fumble, uh interception by Patrick Mahomes. This has just been a rough go of it with the turnovers. They are not taking care of the ball oddly enough they are still like towards the top of the league averaging close to three points per drive uh, on pro football reference last i looked i actually have it pulled up here they are averaging 2.76 points per drive so they're just under three points per drive their opponents they're giving up now 2.87 points per drive and that's with the last two games them not giving up a touch a score in the second half between Washington and the Titans. They're not good. They, 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 but they still seemingly can score. So what is the Chiefs offense this year? They're towards the top of the NFL in being able to score, but they just give the ball away at a record rate. They're minus 10 in a turnover differential this year. So what are they? Jacob, we'll come to you here first for this one. Well, we're in an overreaction Tuesday, so... <laughs> Let me start by saying, let's not overreact. That was the worst. That was the worst performance we've ever seen from the Chiefs' offense in the Mahomes era. There's no comparison. The Colts game of a couple of years ago would be your probably your other one to compare to, or even the Super Bowl. Uh, the Super Bowl, I think, is kind of a freak thing of just how bad the offensive line was versus that Colts game. There wasn't as many excuses to use this one. Not really as many excuses to use either. Now, the offensive line was bad. They were bad this week. We had said they had been kind of a positive. Orlando Brown didn't really, really stand out until this week. We had, we had you know, put up some red flags just a little bit and said, hey, there's a couple things to clean up. And then this week it was like, this guy should never have played a snap in the NFL left tackle. That's where it went to before we were just kind of saying like, yeah, uh, 
And I know Sam, the hypercritical one of any lineman play. I think he was the one pointing out the most red flags for us. But yeah, it was it was real bad there. It was so it was just a combination of bad. And so we'll see. That's what I'm saying is it's a small sample size. It's one game. I think it was their worst by far. And also throw everybody under the bus. I don't think anyone on offense had a good game. Maybe Creed Humphrey did, but I'd have to go back and watch. Somebody on the interior might have. But everyone else was terrible. Byron Pringle, maybe. But they were they were all bad. Every one of them, including the play calling. The play calling was terrible, too. It was like they didn't realize another team was going to play cover two on them. And like, hey, let's run the uh, bomb again from NFL Blitz. Just one guy on a fly, one guy on a 20-yard slant. Just, just run the bomb all day. And let's see if we can make it work. So adjustments need to be made everywhere. Go Byron Pringle doing what he does. Make us think maybe Byron Pringle will be the guy. Uh, Sam, what about you? Do you, what is this Chiefs offense? They turn it over at a record rate, but they still score at a very high rate. What are they? Real quick, uh, I won't take any Byron Pringle slander. Byron Pringle <laughs> has more receiving yards now this year than he's ever had in his career. But I also am not saying that Byron Pringle is any sort of an answer. Okay, yeah. So Byron Pringle does one really good thing. He doesn't take kickoffs out of the end zone when it's not a good time to do it so kudos that's a that's a positive sam i got i'm glad you got to see my live reaction to every kickoff <laughs> the chiefs have ever had Alyssa doesn't appreciate them the same way because the reaction you heard from me was the reaction i have every freaking kickoff <laughs> whenever they let it bounce yeah. it's like great decision great decision good job good job i'm like family feud i'm one of the family members down there good answer good answer <laughs> so i'm glad somebody got to see that live besides my wife because she can appreciate it the same way that i do i'm like leave the ball in the end zone don't even take it out you have patrick mahomes oh my uh, god no but this was another week where it literally seemed like they went in with one game plan and then we're like, oh shit, this seems really good. We got to do everything completely different than what we thought we were going to do. And it just, it's, it really is like they come in planned to do something and then do something completely opposite. And it's very evident they're not ready for it. I, I really think they, they went into this game thinking, okay, we're going to establish the run early and take pressure off the tackles. Cause I think, I think they're starting to realize that this is a problem with Orlando Brown. I, I, I highly doubt that this is something that Andy Reid's not sitting there being like, what did we do? Like what, why? Um, obviously you, you already saw the change on one side. I mean, like I said last week, I thought that was probably going to be the case where we might not see Lucas Niang again this year <laughs> at tackle. Um, but no, it's it's. I think they were working towards trying to alleviate that problem, and then Ryan Tannehill came out and said, "Hey, guess what? I'm going to score on every possession for the first half until right at the end, and you're not going to do anything to stop me." And Andy Reid said, "Shit, I guess uh, Patrick, let's try to throw really far balls again and see if we can make this work." Which the sad thing is, and this is. Kind of what we talked about at the uh, – I didn't bring it up at the beginning. There was a point about halfway through the third quarter where I was like, yeah, we're still good. We got this. It, they haven't scored yet this quarter, this half. We're, we can do it. Then when the game intercepted the ball, and I was like, all right, we're coming back. 
So that that's how much trust I still have in the offense, even though how bad they were. I was just like, yeah, it could it could happen to a point. It's still still believable that we score thirty points and a half. So <laughs> there is that. But no, it, it was I, it's just an abysmal outing on all ends. Um, again, Trey Smith once again kind of showing that yeah, he's a rookie. He had a, had a bit of a rough game. Let's let's not be let's not be not make any excuse about it. So Mike Rimmers looked like Mike Rimmers. I mean, he is what you expect him to be out there. I don't expect much out of him, but he's, I think he may have been a better option than, than what we probably would have got in the Yang at this point. So I, I just don't, I think they're trying to figure out how to alleviate the seepage that is coming from the tackle positions. And it changes the game plan so much for them that when they do get punched in the mouth, they just kind of fall back on what they're comfortable with. And it's just not working the way it used to. So there's, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to watch at times for sure. Before the Titans game, I would have told you it's a really good offense that just needs to stop turning the ball over to be a, a great offense. And then the Titans game happened, and now I don't know anymore. There were just so many things that, whether it was the play calling, the lack of protection from the tackles, Mahomes bailing on clean pockets, trying to force balls downfield. It was just constant. And I think if that team comes out against the Giants, they might put up, they'll probably put up more points than they did against the Titans. But I don't know if they would do anything to make me feel better about them as a unit because there hasn't been any adjustment to the play calling. It's still RPO, look deep, look deep, look deep. Okay, Pat, you need to scramble keep looking deep and then either throw, throw an, an ill-advised pass or take a really unnecessary hit uh, and give them a fumble or almost get yourself concussed. That kind of thing just can't happen. So I don't, I don't know. I think I want to believe the stats say this team is, is still a good offense that just needs to quit turning the ball over, but the eye test just shows so many more issues that I'm, I'm not 100% ready to say this is still a really good offense that can carry this team forward towards the playoffs. Not a Super Bowl, but hopefully like a wild card berth. So I think it's – I'll still say it's a good offense that can be quickly inhibited by play calling and a needing – a feeling like they need to press because the defense is so bad. Now this next question – is not necessarily contained to the offense, but I did want to save it for uh, close to last before we get into our, our talk about next week's coming match against the Giants. And that is the effort that we saw from the team on Sunday. If you're on Twitter at all, you saw many different people snipping little clips of the, the game footage and showing guys like Chris Jones, Mike Hughes, and others have a clear line to the ball carrier, most often Derrick Henry, and just stand up and let him go. Frank Clark being caught joking with somebody who, mercifully for them anyway, was not revealed on the sideline. There seems to be a lack of – this was the first game, I, I will say, that I, have, I saw – a lack of effort from, from the Chiefs. Before, it always seemed like they were trying hard. 
regardless of the result, they fought to the end. And this game, there were so many obvious choice, uh, choice of, of shots or footage or different plays that that was not the case. The effort wasn't there. And seemingly the urgency to correct that wasn't there either. So the question is, how concerned are you about the effort from this team going forward? Uh, Jacob, we'll come to you first this time. Enough that I was willing to trade Tyron Matthew, ship off Trist, Chris Jones in the offseason, and then inactivate Frank Clark from the roster and put him in street clothes. So that's how concerned I was. It was annoying. It goes back to an age-old question of do players owe fans anything? And honestly, I think they do. I do think the players own fans something because our support is what gives them that big money that the NFL has in general. Sam, how about you? How concerned are you with the effort that you saw from the Chiefs versus the Titans? In a vacuum? Like, if you just showed me some of these plays without watching the entire game, I'd be like, yeah, I wouldn't want to hit Derrick Henry either. It's probably a pretty smart play. But watching the full game, it, it was very evident that it was – they gave up pretty much after after the Titans went up two scores. It was like, all right, we're done. And that is incredibly, incredibly disheartening to watch. As, as Not just as a Chiefs fan, as, as just a football fan in general, because it – I mean – I hate to I hate to fall back on this. I, I really do. But when you have guys getting paid as much as these guys get paid, and I think Jacob said it earlier, and, and you you were not doing your job and got caught just joking around by your boss, you're getting shit canned. And these guys, there there's very little punishment besides obviously the the risk of not getting a second contract or something of that nature. But I mean some of these guys are making as much in one year as most people make in four or five. And it is to not come out and perform on Sunday. And again, I understand that, that that is a very minuscule part of what that contract is paid for. Cause the, the old saying is you get paid for what people don't. So you get paid for the week, the, the days leading up to Sunday and Sunday is just the fun part. But at the same time, that's it, it, it sucks seeing guys just like, I'm done. And it's not fun to watch. It's not entertaining for the fans as Jacob kind of alluded to. So it is, it is bad. And it, this again, kind of comes back to my, my point of, you know, how much of this is, is a Tyron Matthew aspect of, of your quote unquote defensive leader, not being engaged anymore. Um, Frank Clark, obviously having legal issues and he's always been kind of a, general leader of the defense. So um, it's, it's definitely a problem that, that I don't know how you fix, but it, it, because you can't just make professional athletes. I mean, you could make professional athletes run laps as much as you want, but I don't think it's going to do anything anymore, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it sucked to watch for sure. Yeah. Ask the giants how well having their coach make them run laps worked out. Joe judge tried to do that. And he had like multiple guys retire on him. We're not doing this crap. We made enough money. We're done. I'm getting out of here. I am. I I think Jacob, you said it best. Like this is the reason we're willing to trade all these guys as fans who I think a lot of people clamored to extend Chris Jones. People were, and I was one of them 
certainly not calling anybody out. I'm you know using hindsight mostly, but like I wanted a Tyron extension before the off season was done, before preseason started. I was like, you have to extend Tyron Matthew. What are you, what are we doing here? And now it's, well, maybe we should move him and start to try and rebuild this team with youth and depth and just again, start throwing as many darts at this wall as we can instead of trading away picks to try and acquire veterans to, to fill gaps. This is, this is the most disconcerting part because it is once the fire's out, what do you have left? And if Frank Clark has both the contract he always wanted and the Super Bowl ring, what's the same, you know, same thing with Chris Jones. He got the second largest defensive tackle contract at the time and he got his Super Bowl ring. Multiple guys on this team have gotten to the pinnacle very early in their careers. It's, it might, I think it's because of that, we're starting to see like, ah, you know, it'll be fine. I got what I needed. I got mine. And I think if you ever want to make serious runs, you need people and players who are hungry. They have that dog mentality that Veach talked about needing on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You need players that are hungry and are willing to grind and not just check out or start joking on the sideline before the game is over. Any guys are willing to play through the final snap. Let's look ahead now to this dynamite Monday night football matchup that I cannot fathom. It won't get moved. And yet it will probably most definitively stay in Monday night football. And that is the Chiefs versus the New York Giants coming up for week eight. I don't know if there's anything that can happen in this game for me to feel good about it as a Chiefs fan. Like, if they win, it's like, hey, you beat the Giants, and you beat them without Saquon Barkley. Like, okay. But I do want to get your guys' opinions on this. Um, Sam, we'll start with you. Will there be anything that we can take away from this game if the Chiefs win? Obviously, I think there will be it would be an easier thing to say, like if the Chiefs lose this game and go, okay, this is definitively a bad team. This game will happen before the trade deadline. Let's move as many assets as we can and get as many picks as we can. I think there's more that you can ascertain if this team loses. But if the Chiefs win, Sam, what do you think we can take away from the game, if anything? How did they win? That's that will be what you can take away. If they go out and just annihilate the Giants, then we're like, okay, that was what is exactly what was supposed to have happen. If this is a one-score game and it's a struggle and it looks tough the entire game, you take away that, okay, maybe the Chiefs are not as good as even we thought they were going into this week after we just got annihilated by the Titans. So I think what you take away is, is again, with the – knock on wood, general hope that the Chiefs can beat the Giants is how do they beat them? Because that that will be a very telling aspect of what, what this team is and what's going to happen the rest of the season. Jacob, what about you? It, you? Will there be anything that can be done in this game that makes you think you've learned something about the Chiefs if they're able to scrape a win? Now, I rarely do this, but I'm going to disagree with Sam. 
and say that actually it doesn't matter if they win big because for us, it, it will matter. But I think for the general fan, they're going to look back and say, well, they beat down Washington football team. Why is this any different? They're just going to go back next week and lose again, and we're back where we started square one. So I actually don't think there's going to be that much positivity even around a win unless – no, I don't know. I think people are just going to say, look at Washington football team. They beat them. Yeah, they can't beat a good team. I think that's what it's going to be. Also, Saquon Barkley returned to practice this week, so we might see him. I don't know. Uh, I, I have more on the Giants once we get to our next question. And let's get to our next question because I kind of already tipped my hand. I'm not sure there's anything we can learn in a win from the Chiefs just because the Giants are a bad team. And to this point, the Chiefs have beaten the teams that are not as good as them uh, at this point in the season. The so problem is the one the one comeback I'll have on you guys with that statement, the games prior to us beating the bad teams were close. Mm. That's fair. They were they, they really were like especially Baltimore, they're a turnover away. Like that makes sense. I guess if they did smoke, like if they put up 40 and hold Giants to 13, I might be singing a different tune. Because at that point it's like, okay, well, you just smacked the hell out of this team. So maybe there's something I'll see on on Sunday that changes my tune. Now, in order for the Chiefs to get a win. Outside of Patrick Mahomes, although I might start putting him into this if he has another game like he did this past week against the Titans, who is your key player this week for the Chiefs to get a W? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you this time. I'll go with the one that had the bad game and say Orlando Brown. I think he's got to prove he's better than what he showed last week. He's got at least... I wouldn't even say split the difference. I guess split the difference between years maybe and say he needs to split the difference between what he did with the Ravens and what he did has done with the Chiefs and just kind of be somewhere in the middle and be all right. But that would probably be my person. And reason being, when I was starting to think about this matchup and players on the Giants, I thought to myself, I'm not sure I can name more than <sighs> – three or four players that are on the Giants, and I definitely can't name a single player on the defense. So if somebody wrecks the Chiefs O-line this week that I've never heard of, there's serious trouble. Sam, what about you? Who's your who's your guy outside of the quarterback that needs to have a good game for the Chiefs to win? Just so you know, Jacob, we're coming up against an old friend in this game, and that's Reggie Ragland. Oh, man. <laughs> I literally I did have to look it up because I was like uh, I don't I don't uh, I don't know anybody on the uh, yeah I, I forgot to clarify as well Sam well first off bring all the neck rolls out on the field and get as big as shoulder pads as you can because it's Reggie Ragland season but I did then Google the Giants roster and still didn't know sixty five percent of the guys <laughs> yeah no I mean they they have like names that at one point in time were very scary like leonard williams that we haven't really heard of in a long time but yeah no i i don't recognize many of these names now for me it's really any high-paid defensive player specifically chris jones because again i don't think our defense is going to be great at any time this year but if we have any shot of doing anything, we have to see some production from these guys that we're paying astronomical amounts of money for. And specifically Chris Jones, because he is supposedly, again, 
I still believe one of the best defensive talents in the league. We just haven't seen it. And I don't know if it's purely because he's been trying to do this defensive end thing, which again, go back to the podcast from the beginning of this year. Somebody on this podcast was very against this idea. I don't remember who that was, but he seems real smart now. Just to say, just, just saying. Um, Thanks, Sam. I'm glad that you remembered that I said that. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was JJ, wasn't it? Yeah, I I that was that was one of his first hot takes. Was that this was a terrible idea? So. If it's an intelligent take, it was probably JJ. <laughs> but no, I I just need I need some output from from our defensive quote unquote stars this week, and and I'm going to key in on Chris Jones because he's the low hanging fruit, I guess. To give you full credit, Sam, you were the one who was like definitively, why are we moving a guy from a position he's legitimately great at to something he's never done before? It's terrifying, which that's definitely proven out to be the case. I'm going to flip sides and I'm going to say Tyree Kill needs to have a big game. There have been games where he's had, you know, a decent amount of catches and yards, but it's always, it's, we're missing that vintage. Tyree Kill explosion. And it's it feels like as much as we've talked about Patrick Mahomes pressing, Tyree Kill is pressing. His whole not looking balls in, dropping passes, tip balls that come off his hands that are picked off has happened way more, even than like any other year. And it seems like he is like trying to get his head turned to survey the field so that he can find out where everybody is on the defense and make a really big play because he knows that they need him to in order to be successful. So I'm going to look for a big game from Tyree kill where maybe they try to be a little more creative in getting him the ball with bubble screens, even lining him up in the backfield, not just running him as a deep threat, trying to get him in positions where it's like a slant route and he can just turn his head, look up field as opposed to just running deep, just running deep, just running deep, find ways to get him the ball in space and let him do his thing. Last thing tonight, we will wrap things with this, and this is where we find out just how bad we are at predictions every week because we're terrible at it. So whatever we're going to say right here, you can take this to Vegas and bet whatever the most opposite thing possible for you to bet is. So let's get our score predictions for this coming week against the Giants. Last week, like I said, Jacob, you had 35-25. I was 33-27. Sam, you were 37-28. All in favor of the Chiefs. Obviously, we were all wrong uh, by a minimum of 30 points. Um, I was, I guess, the closest because I had the Titans score correct. I just had the Chiefs 30 points too high. So let's go around the horn here, Sam. I will start with you. What do you think the final score is going to be for the Giants and the Chiefs? Before I get to that, just a quick side note. One thing you always love to see going into a game against a team is I pulled up ESPN's depth chart of uh, the Giants, and it kind of goes like this. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, questionable. Kenny Galladay, questionable. Sterling Shepard, questionable. Kandarius Toney, questionable. That's usually a decent sign, especially when you already are playing a relatively bad team. So I'm, that that's like, eh, maybe something will go our way this week. But I, I have to – I have to stick with my guns of saying the Chiefs are going to score a lot of points. I cannot in any way envision that they're going to go back-to-back weeks 
with such a poor output, just a abysmal one. So I think it's again, chiefs, I'm going to say 31. Um, I still don't trust the, even with the giants being able to stop a team. So I'll say 31 to 21. Jay, how about you? What do you think the final will be when it's all said and done between the chiefs and the giants? I still think we're going to see a lot of mistakes, uh, but I will go with basically the Washington football team game and just say Chiefs 35-20 with still some mental errors and weird things happening. I am only confident because it's the Giants. I still think that the mistakes are going to be there, and I think that they will prevent the Chiefs from getting to 30. So I am going to say it's a, a closer game than it should be. And but the Chiefs will win. I'm going to say it's 27 to 21 uh, Chiefs over the Giants. And it's just the mistakes that stop the Chiefs from getting to 30. All right, everybody, that'll do it for us this week. We appreciate you hanging in there with us. We are always going to be here for you through the good times and the bad. Hopefully we'll get to talk about the good times again next time we reconvene. Until then, y'all stay safe out there and we will talk to you next week.